Pennsylvania blues is what they call him. Way down Mexicali way. Senoritas falling for him. With the hope that he will stay. By the time that they love him. Senior blues done gone away. Well, he's tall and good looking, and he always knows just what to say. Yes, he's tall and good looking, and he always knows just what to say. By the time. That they love him. Senior blues done gone away. I don't know why, don't know why, don't know why. I'm a wandering, wandering guy. With no one gal to lay my head by. So one gal I love won't be true Got the plus of you Got the blues and it's all cost of you You are with ITR 101.9 or on your computer www.citr.ca Stay tuned now for The Jazz Show Coming right up, the Thanksgiving edition with Gavin Walker. Bye. 
We would like to welcome you to the Thanksgiving edition of The Jazz Show this evening. And uh, hopefully, and I certainly wish that uh, you had a, a fine weekend and uh, celebrated Thanksgiving with uh, friends, family, and uh, enjoyed uh, a fine repast and uh, perhaps a beverage or two as well in good company. Well, you have good company this evening, and the music, of course, is jazz, and we have three hours of some of the very best in jazz music with uh, yours truly, Gavin Walker, as your host, and as is our relatively new policy, our jazz feature is on first, just like the legendary uh, Abbott and Costello thing. Who's on first? The jazz feature. <laughs> anyway, uh, the jazz feature tonight was a date by two gentlemen who just celebrated their birthdays. I'm talking about two of the most uh, fascinating and influential musicians in jazz music. Thelonious Monk, pianist, composer, band leader, and Art Blakey, leader of the Jazz Messengers, which was one of the great training grounds for some of our major musicians. And Art Blakey, one of the all-time finest and most advanced of all jazz drummers, Art Blakey. Both musicians were very distinctive in their styles and uh, very easy to tell. Uh, as soon as you heard uh, a certain lick from Art Blakey behind the drum kit, you knew it was him. Uh, he had such a distinctive approach to the drums, and of course there was no mistaking Thelonious Monk at the piano. Both of them were born under the sign of Libra, and they celebrated recently their birthdays. And... Uh, Mr. Monk was born on October 11th, and Art Blakey was born on October 10th. And uh, Blakey was born in 1919 in Pittsburgh, and of course Thelonious Monk was born in Rocky Mount, North Carolina in 1917. So they were only two years apart. They became best friends and uh, associates over the years, and Blakey appeared on... Uh, as a matter of fact, he, Art Blakey appeared on Thelonious Monk's first uh, recordings under his own name for Blue Note Records in 1947. His choice of drummer was Art Blakey. And, of course, they collaborated uh, over the years. Blakey was part of uh, some of Monk's uh, uh, temporary working groups, and, uh, of course, Blakey was on uh, so many of Thelonious Monk's um, finest recording sessions. This album that we're going to feature was done in May over uh, a night and a morning. It was a long, long day for Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers, recorded May 1957 in New York City, and it came out on Atlantic Records. And Atlantic Records uh, was a quality label. They provided refreshments for the musicians, um, the best engineers, uh, their albums were very much high quality and uh, great covers, informative liner notes, uh, all that kind of stuff. Adla Atlantic in those days was a class label. And uh, 
This album is so unique. Um, what it is, essentially, is Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers of the time with Thelonious Monk playing piano. Monk was only too happy to do this date. His career by this time had uh, begun to take off. Uh, his uh, legal problems had been solved. He got his cabaret card so he could work uh, in New York. Um, he was uh, in the process of forming um, his own quartet to play at a very, very long engagement in one of New York's uh, prestigious clubs. Monk was on his way. And uh, from years and years of uh, deprivation and, and uh, neglect, and uh, being overlooked, of course, by the jazz critics, etc. Art Blakey was a little more fortunate. Um, he, of course, became one of the most influential drummers, and in 1954, he um, formed a cooperative band called the Jazz Messengers, and uh, everyone was leader in the band. Whoever got the gig was, was really the leader and uh, they split costs. It was a cooperative band, and uh, eventually, um, as often happens, cooperative bands eventually uh, fell apart, and uh, Blakey decided to patent the name the Jazz Messengers and take over Soul Leadership. This was in 1956, and he formed a new edition of the Jazz Messengers, and which became Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers, and Blakey kept the, that band alive with various personnel until his passing in 1990. And of course, uh, that was a great institution that uh, faded into uh, jazz history. But Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers, all of those, all of his editions were, uh, were some of the most influential bands in jazz. Getting back to this recording session, it had all the earmarks of uh, something very special, but it also had the earmarks of a disaster, and maybe not to happen. This, um, all this information was told me uh, back in the early 80s. I had a late night dinner with my friend Johnny Griffin, who is the tenor saxophonist on here. Uh, and Johnny and I had uh, ran into one another in Seattle, and we, we hung out, and we spent a long um, after-hours dinner, drinks, etc. And I asked him about this record date, and he uh, provided me with uh, a lot of insights into this uh, uh, incredible recording session. Monk uh, agreed to play with Blakey's Jazz Messengers. He had two requests. Uh, his first request was that they play mostly monk tunes and blakey said no problem there monk had another request his favorite bass player in the world and one who had just started working for him was the great chicago bassist wilbur ware and he said i want wilbur to play bass because he plays like he plays bass like i play piano and and we just connect blakey said no problem there either so blakey gave his regular bass player the night off so, the recording session was called for late afternoon on the 14th of May. And all the musicians, with the exception of bassist Wilbur Ware, arrived not only on time, but ahead of time. Even Thelonious Monk, who was known to be 
terribly tardy for everything. Monk was there, um, and the whole band was, and they were waiting for Wilbur Ware to arrive so that they could start to uh, get the music together and, and play. And, um, well, it didn't take long. Mr. Ware arrived. And Mr. Ware arrived stoned and blind drunk. And everyone looked at one another because they knew uh, that this often happened. But usually, Wilbur Ware was such a magnificent musician that even though he may have been abused all kinds of substances, once he got behind the bass, he could really play. But he was in pretty bad shape. The, uh, the poor cabbie had to carry his bass up a flight of stairs. Uh, Wilbur was scarcely able to walk. Anyway, uh, they decided to start the recording session. And the first tune on the agenda is one we're going to hear. It's a very famous composition by Thelonious called Blue Monk. And this was one of the easier tunes that they were going to play. And it was a, it, because it's a straight 12-bar blues. And um, they figured, well, you know, Wilbur Ware, he'll, we'll find out where he's at when we do this tune. Um, Wilbur did reasonably well, and they were going to move on to something else with a little bit of trepidation. And during that pause, Wilbur lay down on the floor, curled up, and went to sleep. And no one could wake him up. They shook him. They slapped him a little bit. Nothing. He was gone. And so it was like it was going to be perhaps a cancellation of the recording date. They weren't sure. Thelonious was sitting at the piano, very stoical. And Blakey said, you know, I'm going to give my regular bass player a call. I think he's at home. And Monk s said, well, I don't know, but, you know, I really, I really want Wilbur. And Blakey said, well, <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen. I'll call my regular bass player. So Monk reluctantly agreed and Blakey called Spanky DeBrest, James Spanky DeBrest, who was uh, um, his bass player, Art Blakey's bass player. And uh, Spanky said, okay, I'll be there. Give me an hour. I got to put clothes on, get my bass. And, and they said, the cab will be paid for. Just call a cab. We'll, Atlantic's going to pay for everything. Just make it down here. So sure enough, in a, an hour's time, Spanky DeBrest arrived and they attempted another version of Blue Monk. And uh, after the first take, Monk turned around and looked at the bass player and says, you know, you're going to be all right. Everything's cool. And the record date proceeded after that. And um, it took uh, all night right into the next day to uh, complete all the takes on here. So that's the, that's the story of the whole record date, and I got, I got that from, from, from Johnny Griffin. So what could have been a, a terrible disaster, the only upshot of the thing was that they sent, uh, they called a cab and sent Wilbur Ware home and kept his base at the studio in a safe place, and he picked it up uh, when he cleaned up and got sober the following day. So <laughs> that was it. Um, so, the date proceeded. So we'll get into the music right now. It's going to be a fairly long set, but I would like to play you, to begin with, an unreleased take with Wilbur Ware 
playing bass. This was before he went off to the land of Nod forever. Well, not forever, for the evening. And um, this is a take of Blue Monk. It was never issued on, on the record, uh, but it'll give you an idea of what was going down. So, the personnel here, on trumpet from Cleveland, Ohio, just new on the scene, wonderful trumpet player, played sometimes a little too many notes. Um, he, uh, Monk, kind of uh, straightened him out a little bit <laughs> on that, but he was always fun to listen to. Uh, I love Bill Hardman's playing because he always took a risk. He took a chance. Sometimes he, he, it didn't work. Other times it really worked. And Bill Hardman was uh, really trying hard on this date. So he plays trumpet on tenor saxophone, someone that Monk really liked because they had worked together once before in Chicago, was the little giant Johnny Griffin. And um, Johnny Griffin, of course, became a year after this session, uh, he took John Coltrane's place in Monk's quartet. So that's uh, the high esteem that uh, Monk held Johnny Griffin in. On bass, of course, is the legendary, on this one tune alone is the legendary Wilbur Ware, and on drums, of course, is Art Blakey. So we start the session with this uh, outtake of Blue Monk, and uh, then continue with um, uh, with uh, it called evidence. Then uh, after we hear the that outtake, then I'll tell you the rest going to hear. Interesting take of Blue Monk with Wilbur Ware on bass. Hope you enjoy this jazz feature. Thank you. 
All right, well, we heard that take of Wilbur Ware playing with the uh, Blakey's Jazz Messengers. And, of course, uh, after that was over, uh, that's when he went off to the land of Nod, and then they, uh, they took a break. <laughs> Blakey's regular bass player came into the gig, Spanky, James Spanky DeBrest. He was from a young man from Philadelphia, a very fine bass player. The next piece is, is another outtake we're going to hear. Uh, and it's the last outtake I'm going to play. Then we're going to get into the regular uh, um, what was released and what was approved by the band uh, to be for release on Atlantic Records. But this is a, another unreleased outtake. Um, they attempted this tune. This is with Spanky DeBrest on bass now, and it uh, is a, a composition by Monk. Uh, has a couple of titles. It's called Evidence here. And it's uh, sometimes known as Justice, but it's based on a standard tune called Just You, Just Me. So, hence the, t the, the title. Monk, uh, this arrangement of it, there's a very kind of strange piano introduction by Thelonious Monk. And, and the band sounds pretty ragged on this um, because the, the, the piano introduction kind of leaves everybody in limbo. And uh, they attempted uh, several times to get this thing down with the piano introduction. They finally gave up on the tune and uh, tackled it later on in the session with, uh, as you'll hear on the regular record, with a drum introduction by Art Blakey. And that worked. This one doesn't quite work, but it's a very interesting outtake of this tune. So we'll get to it right away. The new bass player is on board now, and um, once again, the personnel, Bill Hardman on trumpet, Johnny Griffin, tenor saxophone, uh, James Spanky DeBrest on bass, Art Blakey on drums, and Thelonious Monk on piano. This outtake of evidence. <laughs>
Almost finished. They almost finished the tune. It got pretty ragged at the, at the end there. But anyway, that was an outtake of um, the tune Evidence with that kind of weird introduction by Thelonious Monk, which they eventually dropped on the um, on, on a later version. And uh, and of course you'll you'll hear it and replaced Monk's introduction with uh, a drum introduction by Art Blakey, and then took the tune at a lot faster pace, which you'll hear. Now we're going to get to the released items. These these were all the items that uh, came out on the uh, famous Atlantic record. These were the approved um, takes of the tune, and we'll hear um, the recording session in the order of uh, how they recorded the tune as well, uh, the tunes as well. So, uh, once again, we return to um, the tune Blue Monk. Uh, we're going to follow that with Evidence, the tune we just heard, and it'll be a, a different and, I think, a better version. And uh, then we're going to move to a tune called I Mean You, and then uh, a tune called In Walk Bud, which was uh, Thelonious Monk's uh, tribute to the great Bud Powell. And uh, then a great version of Monk's uh, I Got Rhythm variant called Rhythmining. And the final tune um, was a Johnny Griffin composition that uh, Monk uh, enjoyed and uh, uh, approved. And so they played it. The tune uh, was called originally, as it is on this album, Purple Shades. Uh, later on, uh, Griffin changed the title of the tune, and, be, and it became his theme song, and, and he changed the title to a street in Chicago called 63rd Street Theme. But for this album, it was called Purple Shades, and it's a minor key 12-bar uh, blues. So we get to the regular recording session, which took um, all night and just about all of the next morning to complete so sit back and enjoy this uninterrupted uh, version of this very famous record. Once again, Bill Hardman on trumpet, Johnny Griffin, tenor saxophone, Spanky DeBrest on bass, Art Blakey on drums, and Thelonious Monk at the piano. Beginning with Blue Monk.
Thank you. 
Thank <laughs> you. 
And that's our jazz feature, I guess a, an extended version because we, uh, we did those uh, extra tunes as well. This, of course, was the iconic and classic album for Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers with Thelonious Monk and celebrating the birthdays of both of these gentlemen who helped shape jazz music and, of course, whose influence is still very much with us. Even though they are gone to the big band in the sky, I'm sure they're, they're still playing together and laughing and joking, and, as well as musical compatriots. And this was our jazz feature album. We um, first listened to a mix from who opened with. Uh, we heard a version of Blue Monk with the first bass player uh, that was hired, and he didn't last for a variety of reasons. And I, uh, Wilbur Ware on bass, uh, we heard a version and um, a fake of a uh, tune called Evidence with some uh, sloppy and, and, and sort of confusion, although the solos weren't too bad. Um, but I thought I would give you that outtake as well. Uh, then we went into the released um, music that came out on the actual classic album, and these were all approved by both uh, Art Blakey and Thelonious Monk, and the producers, of course, at uh, Atlantic Records, and, um, the, and we heard them in the correct recording order. So once again, we returned to Blue Monk to open the formal part of the set. Uh, then we went to um, a tune called Evidence, uh, the master take of that tune, and then a tune called I Mean You, uh, and then followed by Thelonious Monk's composition dedicated to um, his one of his be other best friend, Bud Powell, pianist Bud Powell, called In Walk Bud. And then we heard a great version of Monk's uh, I Got Rhythm variant called Rhythmining. And the final tune was a composition 
kind of a mysterious sounding thing composed by Johnny Griffin, and it was called Purple Shades. And um, Griffin uh, eventually retitled the tune uh, and used it as his uh, theme song for many years, and he retitled it 63rd Street Theme. The people involved here, uh, of course, was the, uh, 1950, the May 1957 uh, version of Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers. Incidentally, this album was recorded in New York, uh, on the uh, afternoon and uh, morning of uh, May 14th and 15th, uh, 1957. And the people in the band from Cleveland, Ohio, wonderful young trumpet player, Bill Hardman. And, of course, one of the giants of the tenor saxophone in prime uh, early form, the Chicago Fire, the Little Giant, whatever you want to call him, Little Johnny Griffin, Johnny Griffin on tenor saxophone. On bass, taking over from the ailing Wilbur Ware, uh, was uh, a wonderful bass player, regular bass player in Blakey's Messengers at the time from Philadelphia, James Spanky DeBrest. Spanky DeBrest on bass. And that's a great name, isn't it? And uh, Hart Blakey, of course, on drums, and Thelonious Monk on piano. So that was it, our jazz feature this evening. I hope you enjoyed this uh, classic date and enjoyed the outtakes as well. Um, w- one day I'll have to do a, a, a whole show on the, um, on the outtakes from this album, all the completed ones anyway, um, the incomplete ones. It gets a little boring after a while, but there are some really good outtakes that have never come out on records. We'll have to do that sometime uh, down the road. Meanwhile, You are listening to The Jazz Show, the Thanksgiving edition of The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name is Gavin Walker, and we'll be back right after these messages celebrating the 90th birthday of uh, someone who's a a friend and uh, one of the great exponents of the vibraphone. I'm talking about Terry Gibbs. Terry Gibbs was 90 years old today, and uh, he's still alive and well, one of the most energetic people that you can ever imagine. And uh, we're going to take you back in time uh, right after these messages with a uh, part of a concert that uh, Terry gave um, way back in the early 50s. And uh, we'll do that right after these. Whoever said money can't buy you friends obviously wasn't a member at CITR. When you become a member, you get the Friends of CITR card with incredible discounts in the Main Street area at Antisocial Skateboard Shop, Devil May Wear, Lucky's Comics, Neptune Records, RX Comics, Red Cat Records, the Regional Assembly of Text, the Wallflower Modern Diner, and Woo Vintage Clothing. To find out more, visit us in room 233 of the sub on the UBC campus or go online to citr.ca. You're listening to CITR 101.9, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Hunkaminam-speaking Musqueam people.
weather for you. Yeah, it was quite a way to uh, end the weekend. Although the weekend was relatively pleasant. It, it wasn't uh, sunny, but it, we had a couple of nice days. But tonight, well, <laughs> they brought the curtain down. And, of course, uh, lots of rain. And uh, it's really coming down and pooling on the streets. And uh, uh, if you drive your car in the rain, lots of, uh, lots of people driving very nervously and uh, all this kind of stuff. You'd think it was uh, some terrible snowstorm, but... Vancouverites are not great in the rain either. Uh, in term, well, not, <laughs> not great drivers. Period. But anyway, uh, it starts to rain. They all go. Uh, they all start going about 20 miles an hour um, slower than they usually do, and uh, make some incredible moves. Anyway, uh, rain uh, is actually going to end uh, later on tonight, and uh, it's a bit windy with a low of 10. Uh, then tomorrow is going to be mainly cloudy with uh, some rain off and on during the day. 60% chance of a shower, uh, low of 10, high of 16. Whoa. Then, well, for the rest of the week, I'm afraid it's a four-letter word. Rain. Every day. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. All rainy days. So uh, it's here. We're going to get a little taste of um, what we usually get every year here in Vancouver. And, of course, uh, we become used to it and uh, get the umbrellas out of mothballs and uh, et cetera, rubber boots, all that kind of stuff. The temperatures, so it's rain every day, and temperatures between a low of 10 and a high of 16 for uh, all the days right through to Sunday. So... Not much more to report. Terry Gibbs. Terry Gibbs was born uh, in New York City. Um, he was born in Brooklyn. On this day in 1924, he's 90 years old. When he was 12 years old, he won the Major Bose Contest. That was a, a famous uh, radio show for amateurs, kids, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, playing the xylophone, which is like a vibraphone, but this, uh, they're, instead of metal um, bars, uh, they're wooden bars. Anyway, he attended uh, Tilden High School in Brooklyn and then began to appear. Uh, he was rather a child prodigy on radio, theater, concert appearances, and so on and so forth. He also uh, mastered the drums and the timpani. And um, Terry Gibbs actually uh, came to fame uh, in Woody Herman's band, the Second Herd, and um, this was in the late 40s, early 50s, and and Terry became a real star. He's one of the masters of the vibes. Um, he's right there along with Lionel Hampton and Milt Jackson, and so on. But uh, unlike Hampton and and Milt Jackson, Terry Gibbs is still with us, and um, he's feisty. He's funny, and. Um, He's, he's, uh, he's full of life, and he's 90 years old, and he's still playing, and uh, he's an amazing musician. We're going to take you back to a concert uh, that took place. Um, it was a series called Jazz Time USA, and it was uh, uh, recorded at a place called the Pythian Temple in New York City, and we're going to hear um, three tunes featuring Terry Gibbs. The first one is a Terry Gibbs original called TNS. And uh, TNS stands for uh, Terry and Shorty. Uh, Shorty Rogers was one of his buddies in Woody Herman's band. And they actually co-wrote the tune. So that's why the title, TNS. And uh, it features uh, um, 
on mellophone, which is a, a, a kind of a variant of the French horn, and a, a really excellent musician by the name of Don Elliott. Terry's on vibes, and on this one tune, Horace Silver is playing piano, the very young Horace Silver. And in the rhythm section, uh, Chuck Wayne on guitar, the wonderful George DeVivier on bass, and Broadway Sid, Broadway Sid Bulkin on drums. And he, uh, this is some of the best uh, uh, Broadway Sid's playing. He, he was a uh, excellent drummer, never got on too many record dates, but he was a buddy of, of uh, Terry Gibbs. They grew up together in, in, in Brooklyn. And uh, then there's a few personnel changes. Uh, then we're going to hear a ballad by the Sextet, and it features Terry uh, on, on Vibes. And uh, the ballad, of course, is the very famous You Don't Know What Love Is. Then we're going to add a couple of horn players uh, in the persons of Howard McGee on trumpet and Kay Winding on trombone. And uh, the piano chores are being taken over by Dr. Billy Taylor and the rest of the people all the same. We're going to hear a version of Lionel Hampton's great uh, theme song, Flying Home. So here then, three tracks recorded in 1952 by the great and wonderful, energetic, and funny Terry Gibbs. Here we go.
recorded in uh, 1952 at the uh, Pythian Hall or Pythian Temple in New York City. And uh, this is a, a pretty rare recording. Actually, uh, July 11th, 1952, a nice hot summer night. And we heard uh, the Terry Gibbs All-Stars. And, of course, Terry Gibbs today, and he's still with us. I'm sure he's having a great time celebrating his 90th birthday today in, uh, at his home in Los Angeles with his uh, family and wife and uh, all the people that love Terry. And uh, we heard this, um, his part of this uh, uh, concert series uh, called Jazz Time USA, and we heard three tunes. The first tune um, had Don Elliott on uh, mellophone, which is kind of, a, as I said, a French horn uh, variant. Uh, Terry, of course, on vibes, and Horace Silver playing piano, along with uh, Chuck Wayne on guitar, George Duvivier on bass, and Broadway Sid Balkin on drums. Then um, the next tune, Billy Taylor took over the piano uh, chair, and it was a feature for Terry on a ballad, of course, a famous one called You Don't Know What Love Is. And then um, Terry was joined by a, a couple of horn players, uh, trombonist Kay Winding, and trumpeter Howard McGee, and they cooked up a storm on uh, a Lionel Hampton favorite called Flying Home. And, of course, uh, our small tribute to uh, Terry Gibbs, who was born uh, in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, his uh, birth name was Julius Gubenko, and um, <laughs> he changed it to Terry Gibbs. <laughs> uh, okay. Anyway, Terry uh, was born on this day in 1924, and of course is one of the great icons of jazz music, uh, still alive and well, and, uh, and as feisty and as funny as ever. So, small tribute to Mr. Gibbs. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9, or on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker, and coming up next is another birthday of another great musician, one of the leading voices of the alto saxophone, and one of the, and he hates the, he hates being called this, but he was one of the first young alto saxophonists to develop a style. He's a, a, a independent from Charlie Parker, and uh, most people imitated Charlie Parker. Um, Lee Konitz didn't, and uh, of course he jokingly he's got a. a um, very much a sense of humor, much the same as Willie, uh, Woody Allen. And um, he reminds me a lot of, uh, of Woody Allen, even looks a little bit like Woody Allen. And uh, I've talked to Lee over the years, and he can have you rolling on the floor with his, uh, with his sense of humor. But the reason he said he didn't sound like Charlie Parker is that he couldn't play like Charlie Parker. <laughs> he said everything Charlie Parker played was so damn hard that he avoided it and uh, built his own style. But Lee Konitz is a virtuoso, too, and we're going to hear uh, some music that he recorded. Um, in, I think this, some, this is some of the finest Konitz on record, and it's some of my favorite performances by him, and he's sitting in with Jerry Mulligan's quartet, um, recorded uh, in at The Hague in Los Angeles in 1953. I'll tell you more about that um, in a moment. But I would like to remind you of a couple of great websites um, that 
will inform you as to the jazz scene here in Vancouver. And one of them, of course, is the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society. And it's coastaljazz.ca. And it's a very comprehensive website and very informative. And, of course, uh, Coastal Jazz and Blues never sleeps. And they produce concerts throughout the year. And um, it's a good idea to get on, check out their website, and find out what is going on. You can purchase tickets and go through all the motions you need to do to um, uh, access these concerts that uh, Coastal Jazz produces throughout the year. And, of course, there's other information on that website as well. Coastaljazz.ca. Another fine website is one put together by my friend Brian Nation. And it's VancouverJazz.com. And on VancouverJazz.com, they've got everything on there, uh, including up-to-date information about all the gigs in Vancouver. Um, Corey Weeds, of course, produces so many shows at uh, 1789, uh, which is on Comox Street. It's the old Three Greenhorns restaurant. Uh, Corey's been doing a yeoman's job down there, producing uh, a variety of concerts. And usually uh, there's uh, always jazz on Tuesday nights with Mr. Weeds. And um, uh, Corey has a bunch of things that uh, he does. It's a good idea. And uh, to get onto Ryan Nation's website, uh, VancouverJazz.com. And there's musical biographies there. You see, with the closing of the cellar, there's so many uh, places that present jazz, not every night. but it, So you can kind of keep up. If you go on that website, you can see where the gigs are. And, of course, Pat's Pub is still going. It's free. It doesn't cost anything to go down there. Saturday afternoon, some of our finest musicians play at Pat's Pub, uh, which is located at the downtown east side in the old Patricia Hotel. Very, it's a very comfortable place, very friendly. And um, it's far enough away uh, so that you can park your car safely down in that area. And uh, as I said, it's Saturday afternoon, 3 to 7, and it's uh, absolutely free to uh, catch some of our finest musicians. So that's that's another place. There's also all kinds of um, gigs here, there, and everywhere. So uh, check it out on VancouverJazz.com. And one last thing I always mention, those of you that uh, play the uh, saxophone or the flute or the clarinet, uh, whether you're an amateur, a pro, or a student, uh, you have to keep your instrument in shape. And uh, the man to do it is a gentleman, friend of mine, who is uh, not only a fine musician, but he's a great repairman. He's also a, a really, really good music teacher. If you need private lessons, he's the guy to go to. But he's a repairman, and uh, that's really important. He has his own repair shop in his home, which is located in the 13th and Lonsdale area. And he'll fix your instrument up if it's uh, leaky or needs pads or uh, a complete overhaul, whatever. And his prices are very reasonable. Uh, His name is Ken Speller, and he can be contacted at 778-800-1933, 778-800-1933, those of us that still use the telephone. But you can also get him via email, which is kspeller, K-S-P-E-L-L-E-R, underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. kspeller, underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. Lee Konitz, born in Chicago this day in 1927. He's 87 years old. He's still performing, still plays. As I mentioned before, he's uh, a wonderful 
uh, jazz icon. He's recorded with just about everybody. And uh, he's got so many albums under his own name and one of the most distinctive voices of the alto saxophone. But I go back to these recordings. These are some of my favorite Konitz recordings. Lee was playing at the time with Stan Kenton's orchestra. And he did get a lot of solos with Kenton's orchestra. But Kenton's orchestra was a big, brassy uh, band, as always. And uh, Konitz was... uh, well, not unsatisfied being in there, but he, he preferred playing with, with small groups. And he had some time off in January of 1953. And at the time, Jerry Mulligan and his newly formed classic quartet with Chet Baker on trumpet, Carson Smith on bass, and Larry Bunker on drums were performing at a little club in Los Angeles called The Hague. And... Um, Lee Konitz um, was, of course, a good friend of Jerry's, and Jerry invited Lee to come down and sit in with the band, and it was um, recorded and came out as a classic album called simply Lee Konitz uh, Sits In with the Jerry Mulligan Quartet. Now, Mulligan and Baker and the, and the band take a back seat. Uh, these pieces feature Lee out front, and we're going to open with his I think it's next to Charlie Parker's version of this tune. This is my favorite version of a great tune called Lover Man. And we open with that. Then we get into a tune called um, by um, uh, Johnny Mercer uh, called Too Marvelous for Words. And uh, then the um, perennial favorite, All the Things You Are. And uh, we're going to end with a tune written by a guy named Bernie Miller, his only composition. It's called Bernie's Tune. And we'll end the set and a small tribute to the great iconic alto saxophonist. Happy birthday, Lee Konitz. Here we go with Lover Man. Thank you. 
four tunes as a tribute to the great and still with us Lee Konitz. He's 87 years old today. And uh, these are some of his most iconic recordings when he uh, sat in with the Jerry Mulligan Quartet in January of 1953. He was uh, really happy to do that because he felt a little restricted in uh, Stan Kenton's band and uh, he certainly uh, displayed that in, uh, in his uh, playing on all of these tunes. And, of course, Mulligan and the quartet kind of took a back seat. It was really Lee's uh, feature. So we heard him with um, Jerry, of course, Jerry Mulligan on baritone saxophone, Chet Baker on trumpet, Carson Smith on bass, and Larry Bunker on drums. Recorded at The Hague in L.A. in uh, January of 53, and we heard four tunes beginning with, uh, I think, my favorite version, other than Charlie Parker's version of this tune, uh, a tune called Lover Man. And um, we moved there to a uh, Johnny Mercer tune called Too Marvelous for Words. And then the uh, tried-and-true standard, and, of course, Lee really explored this one, All of Things You Are. And then the quartet was featured a little more. We heard some uh, trumpet work by Chet, um, as well as a solo by Lee uh, on a tune um, and uh, he played in the band's arrangement of Bernie Miller's Bernie's Tune. So those four tunes um, paying a small tribute to uh, the great, one of the great individual voices of the alto saxophone, Lee Konitz, born in Chicago. On this day, he's 87 years old. The next four pieces we're going to hear is... Under, our, our, under the direction of vibraphonist Milt Jackson. And this is a predecessor of the modern jazz quartet. 
uh, although uh, they recorded these tunes under Milt Jackson's name. It was the Milt Jackson Quartet. But John Lewis is on piano, and the original drummer with the MJQ, Kenny Clark, on drums. These were recorded uh, in New York City in August of 1951. Uh, the modern jazz quartet actually didn't come into being until December of the following year, and that's when John Lewis decided to um, keep the band together and name it the Modern Jazz Quartet. He got a lot of flack for that, too, because, uh, uh, you know, that's a big name for uh, a small jazz group, and uh, people criticized him for calling it the Modern Jazz Quartet. Uh, they just said the name was too big for, the, um, for this newly formed basically newly formed group, and um, didn't represent all of modern jazz, all this kind of stuff. Anyway, the Modern Jazz Quartet, of course, became the longest group ever to stay together in jazz music as a, as a unit. But this is just, this is before, and these guys go back uh, to their days in Dizzy Gillespie's band in the mid-40s, when they all met and all began playing together, and Dizzy would often feature them as, as a unit. But the bass player was Ray Brown. He was the original bass player. Now, his place was taken by Percy Heath, who remained the bassist in the band until his passing. But Ray Brown was the first bassist, and it's Ray Brown's birthday today. He was born in Pittsburgh today in 1926 and passed away July 2, 2002 and one of the greatest of all bassists. And the reason I'm playing these recordings, the, these four tunes, is going back to an evening that I spent at the uh, original cellar, and I was just a, a very young man then, and it was during Charles Mingus's engagement at the cellar. And uh, it was one of the first or second nights that uh, the Mingus Band was playing. This was back in 1961, a long time ago. And uh, the original cellar, of course, was at, um, on Watson Street, just between Main and Kingsway. And so Mingus was playing his legendary gig there, um, his first appearance in Vancouver. And uh, the rest of the band had left, and Mingus was uh, in a... In a great mood that evening and was uh, was talking, telling jokes, telling stories and, and entertaining everybody and all of us hung out, uh, or a group of us hung out uh, with um, Mingus and uh, listening to him and he was holding court and we were all pretty fascinated and, and of course uh, we were all pretty amazed that Mingus was being so sociable because a lot of times he wasn't. <laughs> um, so um, Fortunately, I, I was there, and what was happening was that Mingus w was talking, and over the, the club's um, PA system, um, an Oscar Peterson record was playing with Ray Brown on bass. And Mingus halted the conversation, and he said, man, would you change that and put on something important? Uh, you know, something like, you know, Charlie Parker or Miles Davis or Dizzy Gillespie. I don't want to hear this. I like the bass player. And um, I didn't realize that uh, Charles Mingus was not a huge fan of Oscar Peterson's, but uh, obviously that, that was the underlying thing. So the, uh, Dave Corrin, the manager of the club, went and changed the record and, and put on the sound quietly, and it was 
other music. So Mingus carried on. So he all, he said, um, and then he began talking about Ray Brown. And he said, now, Ray Brown is one of the best bass players in the business. And we're all ears. We're all listening to Mingus talk about Ray Brown. And he said, but, you know, he never evolved. And I'm thinking, what is this? And, and he said, you know, Ray, Ray Brown, the best that Ray Brown ever sounded was on a, a Milt Jackson date that was done a long time ago. And there's four tunes on there. And that bass playing on there, for me, is the most revolutionary bass playing that I had heard up to this time. And what I'm angry about Ray Brown is that he, he's, he, he's, he's with Oscar Peterson and he never, he's never evolved. And I was very puzzled after, after this. And, and, and I, asked, I asked Mingus, um, I, I said, what do, you, what do you mean that it was revolutionary? And, and he said, well, you just have to listen to it and you'll see what I mean. It was revolutionary the way Ray played. No, no bass player had ever played like this before on, on a record. And I sort of, I was puzzled. I, I didn't quite really understand. I had never heard the, the records at that time. So I was kind of left with this in my mind. The evening carried on. We moved on to other subjects and so on and so forth. But this kind of stuck in my mind. And I decided, um, and it took a long time at the time, for me to go and find these four tunes. I finally found them on an album, uh, and they were originally recorded for a small independent label and then, and then released on Savoy Records. And when I heard that, I thought, well, what did Mingus think? What, why did he say this was revolutionary? It doesn't sound very revolutionary to me. It sounds, it's great. I love it. Ray Brown sounds great, but I don't understand what is revolutionary. And it took me many years and a lot more musical sophistication to figure out what Mingus was actually saying. And what he was saying essentially was the way Ray played the time on these four recordings. The way Ray Brown dealt with the pulse, the bass is really the center of the whole pulse, and Ray plays a long beat. And he plays right on top of the beat as well, and the drums come from behind and complement the beat, but the real time is the bass. And uh, that's what Mingus was talking about, and I remember many years later, telling him that I understood. I said, for years it puzzled me, and I listened to these recordings, couldn't figure out what was revolutionary about them, and Mingus said, now you see what I mean. He said, it's, it's how the bass operates. And um, so we're going to hear these recordings. We're going to hear the four tunes. So once again, it's the Milt Jackson Quartet, recorded in New York, August 24, 1951. This is our little tribute to Ray Brown. And we hear Milt on vibes, John Lewis on piano, Ray Brown on bass, Kenny Clark on drums. Four tunes, beginning with Milt Jackson's Milt Meets Sid. That's the first tune. Second tune is a John Lewis composition called D&E. Uh, third tune is The Ballad, a beautiful rendition of Yesterday's. And the final tune is Between the Devil and the Deep Blue Sea, Ted Kohler, Harold Arlen tune. And the bass playing on here is marvelous. Ray actually was, uh, wanted to stay in the band, but he um, had just married singer Ella Fitzgerald at the time and was um, concerned with guiding her career. 
So he left, and uh, he never became a part of this band. So these are his only recordings with this band, and they're great. I can see what Mingus was talking about. Here we go.
paying a small tribute to bassist Ray Brown, one of the uh, the finest bass players ever, whose birthday 
it is today. And uh, this was Ray um, with the Milt Jackson Quartet, which preceded the modern jazz quartet by about a year. Um, the sound is really the same, but Ray Brown was uh, unbelievable in these four pieces. And um, as I related the story of what Mingus uh, was talking about, I finally figured out what he was talking about. It took me years because the music itself didn't sound revolutionary. And as I, uh, in a further conversation with Mingus, he said, well, the bass is, is always there and it's never noticed as much as, say, horns uh, or piano or other out front instruments uh, or even the drums and um, so he felt that what Ray did on these four tunes was uh, absolutely revolutionary and um, so that was that anyway we heard uh, these four tunes uh, Mill Jackson on vibes the leader uh, John Lewis at the piano Ray Brown on bass and Kenny Clark on drums recorded August 24th 1951 in New York City first tune we heard was one called Milt Meets Sid his, his original John Lewis's tune was next D and E and then the ballad of the set was uh, the great Jerome Kern Otto Harbach tune Yesterdays and um, not the Beatles tune which is Yesterday this is yesterday's. And uh, the final tune was the Kohler uh, Arlen tune called Between the Devil and the Deep Blue Sea. A further tribute to Ray Brown. This is with Oscar Peterson's trio, recorded at the Stratford Shakespearean Festival in August 8th, 1956. And um, Oscar Peterson said about this piece was that this bass solo by Ray Brown should be placed in a time capsule and heard by bass players 100 years from now, and they still won't figure out what Ray is doing. Uh, he said this is one of the best solos he ever heard. And, of course, Oscar Peterson and Ray Brown played together for years and years and years and years. So we hear Oscar on piano, the great Oscar Peterson on piano, Ray Brown on bass. This is his feature, Herb Ellis on guitar. The tune is the perennial How High the Moon. Oscar Peterson at the Stratford Shakespearean Festival featuring Ray Brown. A little earlier in the evening, we featured our guitarist, Herbie Ellis. And at this time, we would like to feature our bassist, Ray Brown, as he joins us to a number that has become a jazz classic, How High the Moon.
our small tribute to bassist Ray Brown. That was his feature, and of course that um, demonstrated the immense power of the Oscar Peterson trio of the time. Recorded August 8, 1956 at the Stratford Shakespearean Festival at Strat in Stratford, Ontario, and uh, featured, of course, the master Oscar Peterson at the piano, Herb Ellis on guitar, and of course that piece of music was a feature for bassist Ray Brown. And uh, the tune, of course, was How High the Moon. Ray Brown, one of the all-time greats. Another gentleman that was born today uh, is tenor saxophonist Pharaoh Sanders. And we're going to hear Pharaoh with uh, Idris Mohammed on drums, uh, Bill Henderson at the piano, and John Hurd on bass. And Pharaoh, of course, one of the most distinctive voices of the tenor saxophone. He's going to do a tune, which is a favorite of mine, too, and it's uh, Tad Dameron's On a Misty Night. Happy birthday, Pharaoh Sanders, 74 years old today.
Beryl Sanders, and of course one of the great voices of the tenor saxophone, a small birthday tribute to him too. He was born 74 years ago on October 13th and is still alive and well and playing. So we have a few more moments. I'd like to close with a couple of tunes by Art Tatum. And of course uh, Mr. Tatum was born today and... uh, goes back a few years. He passed away in 1956, possibly the greatest piano pianist that ever lived. And uh, he, was, he was admired by so many people, including all the great uh, classical pianists. And he was born in Toledo, Ohio, October 13, 1909, and passed away in Los Angeles November 5, 1956. So these are uh, a couple of tunes by Art Tatum to uh, close our show this evening as a tribute to him. And Art Tatum, of course, was uh, one of um, Oscar Peterson's biggest influences. So we're going to hear a tune. First of all, we'll open with Yesterdays, and then we continue with uh, Art Tatum's um, Yesterdays. That's, of course, the Jerome Kern uh, Otto Harbach tune that we heard a little bit earlier by Milt Jackson, this time played by and reorchestrated by Art Tatum, as he always did. And then we're going to move into Fats Waller's Jitterbug Waltz. We might have time for another couple of tunes before we uh, say goodnight. So here, then, is the great Art Tatum. Happy birthday, Art. He changed piano forever.
Thank you.